Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. How many of you know that God is a way maker? Amen. Has God made a way for you in your life? I can answer that question for you. If you're here today, he has. And if you're alive and watching us on live stream, he has made a way or you wouldn't be here. Amen. We don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve his goodness. We don't deserve his mercy. His loving kindness is everlasting, from everlasting, and the Bible says to everlasting. In other words, God is not running out of everlasting love. Amen? He's got all of it he needs to keep us forever and for eternity. Amen. What a good God we serve. Let me just say a couple things before we get into the message today. Uh, number one, next week I'm really excited about next Sunday because we'll be having, we'll be having new members become members of New Life Church next Sunday. Amen. And we're excited to do that always to invite, to have new members come in. And uh, we'll be doing another new member class at some point. Probably we'll wait till the fall because uh, summer is like herding cats trying to get people together. Amen. But uh, look out for that. If you're interested in membership, we will be doing that this fall. Another membership class. Um, the other thing, uh, Greg talked a little bit about the, the worship and praise night coming up on June 25th. Again, I just want to say we really invite people to come out because that is a time where we're not so, we don't have to be so worried about time and hitting things and getting everything together, but we can really have a time of, of worship where we can really just settle in before God and worship and also pray both to speak to God and how many of you know also to hear from God, amen? And we want to do that. I hope you do that in your individual prayer times, but also as we come together collectively, we want to hear what the Lord is speaking to us. Amen? Amen. Well, let me get into uh, this message. I think we have a video that's going to come up in just a second, if you can get that ready. But does anyone in this room, I want you to raise your hand if you know what this is like. Do you know what it's like to be stuck? Just just to be stuck. Amen. There's a bunch of stuck people here today. Amen. I don't know if you're stuck right now. Maybe you are. And the worst stuck is when we're stuck and don't even know that we're stuck. Amen. I've been there plenty of times, but we can get stuck all kind of different ways. We can get stuck on a person in a bad way. You ever been there? We can get stuck on a problem, stuck in the mud, or just stuck in life, and I've been stuck every kind of way like that, and many of you have too. So I just want to run this video clip real quick, if we have it. You can hear it, can't see it, but play it. Trust me, I do understand this is Oh gosh. Ooh, but I can't end it. Far from love, but I'm stuck. The brother is stuck. Stay That's it. That's it. That's an artist called Giveon, and he is stuck. And at the end of, of that little clip, he says, Far from love. You want me to sing it? No, you don't. But I'm stuck. 
I, I, I'm, I'm going to save that for the, the prayer and praise night. You got to come out. You got to come out. But, but he says, I'm far from love, but I am stuck. And, and, and as we look today at the scriptures, we're going to see what it is like to get stuck and don't even know it. And, and the worst thing we get stuck on is what we'll see in the Bible today. We get stuck on ourselves. Stuck on ourselves. Let's stand up together. Let's stand up together. We're going to read Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you're there, that's great. If you're not, just look up to the board and let's read the word of God together. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remain silent. Just pause for a second. Verse five. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That's wild. That is wild. The, the title for today is Getting Unstuck from Yourself. Amen. Amen. And the main idea that I want to, to talk about today is this. True worship is focused on God and is always life-giving. The story of Jesus is this, what, what we're in the middle of in, in the, the, the Gospel of Mark. And you have to know that a big part of the story of Jesus is the opposition to Jesus. Amen. That's even a part of the story of Jesus in your life and in my life. So let me pray. Father God, I pray that in the coming moments as we look at your word, that you might speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Dig our ears. Lord, if our hearts are hard somewhere, we, we just invite you to press in on it and, 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 and make that hard place soft. Lord, help us to listen to you. And Lord, wherever we're stuck, however we're stuck, we invite you today, oh God, to unstuck us in Jesus' name. Amen. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So I want to jump right into these verses this morning. Um, and look, we're just going to go verse by verse through uh, this this. This little situation here with, with Jesus, with the Pharisees, and with the man with the withered hand. So it starts um, in verse 1 here. Another time Jesus went to the synagogue, and there was a man with a shriveled hand there. And, and the first part I want to look at is, is being stuck on self. What do I mean by that? 
Interestingly, as you look at these verses, it starts by pointing back to the verses before it another time, it says. And it's pointing back to the scripture we looked at last week where Jesus was getting in trouble again with the Pharisees because he was Lord of the Sabbath and he was allowing his disciples to pluck heads of wheat through a grain field on a Sabbath day. So what connects these is this idea of Jesus breaking specific Sabbath rules that are not scriptural rules, but they are the rules made up by religious folks. That is the connecting thing here. And so uh, we see that uh, what's going on from the very beginning, another time this happens, it's kind of foreshadowing that there's going to be opposition to Jesus, that they're mad at him about this Sabbath stuff. And it's kind of like hearing the music in your favorite horror movie, right? When you begin to hear, don't, 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 you know something's bad is about to happen. That's what's going on in the scripture another time. Uh-oh, watch out, something's happening here. So the text tells us there was a man with a shriveled hand there. And I just, I wonder, perhaps he usually went to that Sabbath, uh, to, to that synagogue on the Sabbath, or perhaps he was planted there by the Pharisees to see what Jesus might do. I don't know, that would be a pretty nasty thing to do, to use a person like that, but perhaps that's what's going on. Whatever's happening, there is a major problem happening here because the scripture says they came to church they came to synagogue and the scripture says some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus I don't know what y'all think but I think this that's not a good reason to go to church (laughs) they're going to church to find out how we can pin Jesus for doing something out of order not a good reason But why in the world would would they be thinking this way? Well, over the last few weeks, we've talked about some of these things. Jesus is changing things by the miracles he does. He's upsetting things by forgiving people. Who are you to forgive? Are you God? He was shifting things by the way he preached and what he taught about and the authority of his words. He was disturbing the leaders by not asking their permission to do any of it. The text is telling us that there were people there in synagogue with established positions of leadership that wanted to discredit Jesus because their authority and their place was in jeopardy. That's what's happening. But here's the real issue. Even in the midst of God-ordained miracles, miraculous activity that blesses others, that is blessing people, that is changing lives for the better, even in the midst of this, the Pharisees are so focused on themselves, their position, their authority, their standing, that they miss it. And they live out of jealousy and envy. Here it is. Hashtag stuck on me. Amen. They're stuck on themselves. Their position. Jesus is messing things up for them. 
How can I relate to that today? Let me give you this illustration. I'm afraid that in our culture today, um, many people have been seduced in social media to places that are not healthy for them. Someone should say amen. Now, I'm not just saying this to the under 30 crowd or the under 20 crowd. I'm saying this to the whole crowd. Amen. Social media can be a deceiving and dangerous place and and, and can lead to real obsession. But 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 let me be real here with this as well, because ever since sin entered the world, uh, people have been obsessed with themselves. Amen. That's not new. The very nature of sin itself is to live in a pseudo-reality where the world revolves around you. We all struggle with this. Every single one of us. Old heads, let's not act like this is just something for young people. Amen? We've all struggled with this our whole lives. This idea that I am the center and reality should shape itself to me. But here's what, here's what I want to focus on for just a second with social media, how it can affect that. Now listen, I'm not going to tell anyone to get off of social media. I'm on social media almost every day or every day, and we're not going to reach our culture well if we ignore it. We need to get engaged in it in the right way. But we all ought to know that it is specifically designed, the algorithms are designed to heighten our obsession with ourselves and get addicted to the praise of people that you don't even know. The algorithms do that. That's what we need to be afraid of with Social media. So here's what that might look like. I got some help with this, but four things that might look like. Number one, checking your latest story every five minutes to see who viewed it. If that's you, you could say ouch, but you don't have to. Number two, comparing your follower count to other people's. How many followers do I have? How many followers? Yeah, that's right. Ouch. If the shoe fits, glory to God. Number three, feeling good when someone with a lot of followers likes your post. Wow, so-and-so. Look, I've been guilty of all of these at one time in my own life. And number four, basing someone's value and worth to you off how many followers they have. That's a person I really need to get to know. I need to reach out to that person because they've got lots of followers. They're worth more. They're more valuable than someone who doesn't. So let me be clear. I'm not telling anyone here uh, that you need to get off of social media. But I am telling everyone here that you need to be honest about how your engagement with social media impacts your own heart. You've got to look in that mirror. You've got to be honest about it. Just just think about how deep a rabbit hole the Pharisees are going down when they go to church to find something to accuse Jesus of so that they can then be the focus of people's attention. That is deep, y'all. They're going to church for that. 
Now, for some people here, social media is not your issue at all. But again, none of us are off the hook because here's our question. Are you obsessed with yourself for any reason, whether it's social media related or not, that's causing you to miss out on loving God and loving others well? These verses get crazier in verse 2. It says, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal. Now, now think about this. That means they knew that Jesus could heal that man. Jesus, who had healed lepers, he had healed paralyzed people, he had cast out demons, he had done all these powerful works, and they're looking to accuse him, but they know he can heal. If he does, then we got him. How crazy is that? This man has powers. He, like, he's got real powers. He's got powerful powers. I know that's probably not good English, but he, he's got all of this, and yet they're looking for him to do something powerful so they can accuse him. That's just crazy to me. It, it is a deep obsession with self and their own preservation that's leading to this. Uh, l- let me give you a way to think about this. Now I need some audience interaction. I need your help here. Um, I'm going somewhere with this, so this is not for no reason. So just bear with me for a second. Um, first of all, if you have never heard of the music group, the Bee Gees, I want you to hold up your hand. Anyone here not heard of the Bee Gees? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Glory to God. You have. I'm not going to call out anyone, but his initials are Greg Snow. You've never heard of the Bee Gees, brother? Wow. Okay. Never heard of the Bee Gees. I ain't mad at you, Doc. I ain't mad at you. They're an old group from the 60s and big in the 70s. And um, so you haven't heard of the Bee Gees. And now I want to ask people, raise your hand if you've never heard of PJ Morton or Yeba. Raise your hands. Oh, I see a lot of hands up now. Most of the hands in the room are up. Okay. PJ Morton and Yeba are uh, contemporary artists. They just won a Grammy a couple years ago for the best R&B song. So they're they're more contemporary. What do the Bee Gees and P.J. Morton and Yabba have in common, you ask? My answer is this. Oh, one person knows. They both did what song, brother? How deep is your love? You got it. My brother, see, he is contemporary and old school. Men of God over there. I love it. I love it. They both did a song called How Deep Is Your Love. Now, what, what, the reason I'm bringing this up is it reminds me of what's going on here. Not how deep is the Pharisee's love, but how deep is your deception. Amen? Love can be deep. Good love ought to be deep. But deception can be every bit as deep. And they are deeply overtaken by their deception. Now here's what we need to be careful about. We can get stuck on this, how whacked out and how messed up the Pharisees were, or we can ask God to help us to see how much our own obsession with self takes us over uh, every time we willingly hurt another person with our words, 
with our actions or even with our thoughts. Jesus says that what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. So Lord, help us to see those areas where we've been deceived and where we need to turn back to you. Now I want to move to the next piece here, part two, the the unwillingness to see. In verse three, Jesus says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to heal? He tells this man to stand up in front of everyone. He puts him right out there. He puts himself right out there. He knows what's going on in the hearts of his opponents. And yet Jesus doesn't shy away from confrontation here. He brings it right out into the open. Why does he do that? I don't believe it's because Jesus wanted to show off how he could heal. He didn't need to do that at all. But he desires that people would rightly understand the heart of God. Here's the other thing. For Jesus to ignore this glaring need that is right in front of him and not do anything about it would be to convey the wrong idea about God to all the people that are there. And Jesus wants people to see the love of God on display right in front of their eyes. So in verse 4, Jesus asks the question. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He sets before them two different ways, much as we see in the book of Deuteronomy, where it says, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose Life, so that you and your children may live. After the law of God is given, God through Moses begs the people to choose life and not to choose death. But here is one of the most devastating phrases in the Bible. It says, but they remained silent. Jesus is asking them what Sabbath is about. Should we promote life? Should we love? Or should we do evil and promote death? And they don't say anything. The leaders of the state religion, the ones we look to for holiness and godliness and direction are quiet in that moment. I don't know about you, but to me, that is absolutely devastating. Why do they remain silent? Why don't they answer Jesus? I think it's fairly simple. Two options. Number one, if they answer, number one, they'll look like complete fools by going on record as wanting to do evil and kill on the Sabbath, right? Which is best to do evil or to kill. They said, yes, that's it. We should do evil and kill on the Sabbath. Look, that's not going to go over well with anybody, right? That's what their ultimate position is, but they can't say that. That's not going to go over well. They'll be totally discredited. The other option is this, to go on record, option two, as agreeing with Jesus. And therefore, they now don't have grounds to accuse him. They can't fall into that trap. So what do they do? 
they remain silent. What's the point that Jesus is making by this question? His point is this. It's always prime time to bless others. Amen? It's always prime time to give life, to bless, to encourage and strengthen others around you. There's no time off from that. And and here you go. There is no off season for blessing others, not even Sabbath and especially not Sabbath. When we get caught up in religious rules and religious ways, we find ways to do things. But God says, I am the God of life and abundance. And he calls us to be people who give life. Let let me illustrate it this way. A little while ago, I was talking with a friend who grew up in eastern Ohio near western Pennsylvania. And in western Pennsylvania, I, I do know this. That for some people, the first day of deer hunting season is like a national holiday. It is the day to be waited for the other 364 days. Does anyone know, ever grown up like that or know others, that that is the thing? We're waiting for the opening day of deer season. That is the day of days. I see all those hands. Glory to God. So the first day of deer season, that's the day. Now, interestingly, also in western Pennsylvania, that's where we get uh, the the tradition of Groundhog Day. Amen? Punxsutawney Phil, his his cousin lives in my backyard, by the way. But but Groundhog Day, uh, and also Groundhog Day is a movie with, with Bill Murray in it. And if you've ever seen the movie on Groundhog Day, Bill Murray wakes up every day and it's the same day all over again and it's driving him crazy. But here's what I want to, what I want you to see. For a person to whom deer hunting season and the opening day of deer season is what they wait for all day long to mix that up with Groundhog Day that every day you wake up that's the same thing happening and it's the first day of deer season that would be like heaven for that person the same every day is the best day the day I've waited all year for what I'm saying is this Jesus is letting people know that every single day and every single time, including Sabbath, is loving on others season. It's time to love on other folks. It doesn't matter if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's time to love on others. It doesn't matter if it's January or June or May or November. It's time to love on others and promote life. But here's the thing. They're so committed in their campaign against Jesus that they're unwilling to acknowledge that God calls us to always love others. That man is right there. For them, it was a time out for that. And the idea of law and righteousness under their idea of law and righteousness undermined God's heart And care for his people. And that leads to Jesus' reaction here in verse 5. Verse 5 says, he looked around at them in anger. 
and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. This, uh, this situation, this healing is both in Matthew and Luke as well as in Mark, but only Mark records Jesus' internal reaction to it. The fact that he is angry and the fact that he is distressed. I, I, I wonder sometimes why that is. God just has given us his word, but Mark worked closely with the apostle Peter and perhaps Peter had some insight into what was going on in Jesus' heart at that time and he shared it with Mark and Mark records this for us. It's a blessing for us to see Jesus here angry and Jesus here deeply distressed. He knows what we go through. He knows about anger. He knows about distress. What I love about this, when you look closely at this verse where it says he's angry, that is in a simple past tense in, in, in the Greek. It means that it is simply recording the emotion that Jesus had in that moment. They won't say anything about healing this man and caring for life, and it makes him angry. But the other word there for deeply distressed is in the Greek present tense, which means it's not just a, a, a momentary emotion, but it is something that's ongoing that Jesus is living with. He has this deep distress over those who are religious leaders but will not tell the truth to the people of God, who who have a law and a way that keeps people from life instead of inviting them to life. And Jesus' anger here is not a sin, but the text is telling us that he didn't live in that anger, right? He had that anger, but his distress was ongoing. I thank God for the scripture. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, His anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Praise be to God. Anger and distress, I need you to hear me on this, are righteous emotions that are a reflection of love. Now, everything can be distorted, and we distort it bad, right? Our anger, our distress can be distorted, but in and of themselves, they are righteous emotions that are a reflection of love. Think about it like this. If there is no anger and no distress in a world that is fallen and sinful, then there can be no love. And we just heard a little while ago, and some of us heard earlier in the week, that one of our members, Gladys Swanson, passed away. Not to be sad about that. Or, or to watch a, a fellow human being, a fellow church member, a family member suffer and not be in distress about that. For me as a father, when I see my kids being attacked, not to have any emotional connection with that. I'm not angry about that. I'm not distressed about that. Look, my kid's getting beat up. If that was my disposition, you'd say, there's something wrong with that man. 
He, he doesn't love his kids, and you'd be right about it. Living in a fallen world where evil rules and where, and where the power of sin is at work and the vestiges of what it does are going on calls us to distress, sometimes to anger, because we see what's happening around us. Here we see Jesus in distress because of the hardened hearts of those who oppose him. But now he's going to show them what is just and true and what worship really looks like. Look at the last part of verse 5. True worship. Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. This is what I love. With all of the intrigue going around Jesus, going on around Jesus, he never forgets the most important thing right in front of him. He remembers this needy man. He heals him. The Bible tells us instantly, completely, and publicly. And in healing this man, Jesus demonstrates for us what true worship actually looks like. True worship always gives glory to God and promotes the blessing of God's image bearers. That's what's happening here. Jesus had already played his hand in verse 4 when he set this whole thing up and asked the questions that he asked. What should you do? Should you do good or evil? What should you do? Should you save life or should you kill? That is what the good God wants his people to do in the normal process of resting in him. Look at this. When we rest in God, we're taking in the very life of God himself in such a way that pouring out life to others is as natural to us as exhaling. Amen? Look at this. I want you to see this. Sabbath allows us to step back from the busyness of life for a time and to take in the wonder of God's goodness so that we willingly and cheerfully look to bless others with the very goodness that we have received from him. Oh, brothers and sisters, you have received goodness from the hand of God. You have received love. You have received mercy. And Sabbath allows us to reflect on that in such a way that we don't just become receivers of it, but givers. We give out that beautiful love of God. Sabbath is not a task to check off to let people know or let God know how holy you are. Amen. It's an opportunity to be with him, to reflect on him and to love others. Let's move right to the end of this thing. The end result of self here in verse six. Tragic again. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This blows my mind every time I read it and all the things like this in scripture. It just blows my mind. You've seen this miraculous healing right in front of your face. And what is your reaction? Let's now we got him. Let's kill Jesus. Starts just like that. It's tragic. John 10, 10 says these words. The thief 
comes only but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, that you might have it abundantly. They've solidified their resolve to kill Jesus, who is the Lord and giver of life. I want to make sure we get this for ourselves today. The end result of self and selfish preoccupation is always an attempt to kill God. We don't think about it that way, but I want to help you see that. When we're obsessed with ourselves, our comfort, our need, our want, our way, our desire, our preferences, what we do is we take God off of the throne real quick and sit ourselves down in that place. That's what the Pharisees are doing. That's what we do. We flip the Lord's prayer around. And now we say, my kingdom come, my will be done. Not God's will. So let me wrap this up this way by answering this question. When we get stuck on ourselves, how can we get unstuck so that we can live freely for the glory of our God? Three ways, three ways that we can do that. Number one, first of all, be aware of how you are looking at Jesus. In verse two, Pharisees are looking at Jesus, but they're looking how they might accuse him. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about another way of looking at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him despised the cross, despised its shame. But we look to Jesus, the one who can save, the one who can heal, the one in in whom we find hope. We look to Jesus that way. How are you looking at Jesus? Number two, pay more attention to the real needs of people around you. We walk through our lives when we're obsessed with self. I'll say it this way, when I'm obsessed with my own self and I don't see the very real needs around me, even in my own family, even people closest to me, when I am about me, when I am obsessed with me, when I am on that throne, I miss people, I miss needs, I miss opportunities to love people and pour out life, my life, Jesus' life, God's life into them. We miss it. So pay more attention to those around you. And number three, ask God. Ask God to give you a heart to love others well. Jesus asks those questions. What time is it? Is it time to give life or to take away life? Is it time to do good or is it time to do evil? And we got to be real about this. When we're disconnected from God, when we put God to the side for a little while, 
Whatever we say in our minds, we're going to gravitate towards what is evil and towards what will take life from others to promote me. God help us. But here is the good news. God will help us. God does help us. God has helped us and he will continue to do so because he's made the ultimate commitment to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want to pray today. I want to ask God to do business in all of our lives, to find out where, where am I so connected with myself and so stuck on myself that, that, that I'm missing connection with my God. And ask God to make that real to you, not to give you shame and guilt, but so that you can give that over to God and see that renewal and life come into you and through you. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I ask, Lord God, that you will continue to bless each person under the sound of my voice. Lord, we need you so desperately. And so many times we can miss you. I pray, Lord God, that we'll never use the Bible just as a way of looking at how bad certain people were at a certain time and not see how you show us our need right there on those pages and by your spirit time after time. Lord, revive us as a people who know and who live in such a way that it is always time to worship God and to bless our brothers and sisters. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.